All right. It's been two weeks because of our celebration of a Christ's resurrection. It's been two weeks since we got into our study. We just started it two weeks ago, and then we took a week off. It's not a really good way to start a series. They kind of teach you not to do that in your sermon schedules. Uh, but seminary was a long time ago. I've forgotten everything they taught me. So I don't know what to say. Uh, we are talking about times and seasons from a biblical perspective. We're looking at things from Genesis to Revelation, uh, of course, uh, and it has a import, an impact in prophecy, certainly. It has an impact in our worship and, uh, and in our daily life, because as we looked at two weeks ago with our introduction, um, one of the evidences of the power of God was in his establishment of times and seasons, and he reserves that to himself. Uh, interesting that in the book of Daniel, it is one of the things that men will try to change. It, not that they'll be able to, but they will try to change times and seasons. That's the term used. And that, and so it becomes something worthwhile for us to study in these days, if we consider these the last days, that we're going to look at an at, uh, uh, entity that wants to change all of that and the concepts of that. So we want to know what the biblical concepts of time and seasons are. We're also going to be looking at a Hebrew calendar, a worship calendar, and comparing and contrasting it to the Christian calendar that we follow, uh, which may not be as Christian as we think. Uh, we hopefully are, have a pretty good idea that our calendar is derived not from the Bible at all, that our calendar is derived uh, from various places over time, uh, we have the Julian calendar, and now we're under the Gregorian calendar. All right? Or I get those mixed? No, that's correct. Um, and so we know that the measure of time has changed and very different from biblical times, which makes it hard sometimes for us to study God's Word and read those things, and we automatically implant upon those our concepts of time, which aren't really their concepts of time. So we talked about what is a day two weeks ago, and we defined that in Genesis chapter 1, and I invite you to turn there. We're going to be there again today to figure out what a week is. I know it seems kind of elementary, so I learned that in grade school. Well, we're going to try to give you a biblical grade school. We're going to unlearn it and learn it right. And so we saw in Genesis chapter 1 that in the created order, it began that, there was, that earth was without form and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep in verse 2, uh, that that was the condition of things as God comes to uh, begin his creative process. And so we have certainly the waters are there. We talked about the scientific uh, wonder of water. A little bit and then darkness was there that just emptiness and that the one of the first things we find God in that first day of creation uh, is to speak forth and bring forth light and thus we have the day established not by the movement of a sun moon or stars but by the concept of, of darkness and light that we begin the, the count of the beginning of all things with darkness and darkness being very Interestingly defined, because we have a difficult time just defining light. Darkness is the absence thereof. Darkness is just an emptiness. It's not really a something. It's the absence of something. And so we have this idea that the world was void. It was, it was formless. It was random. 
And then God's going to come and introduce something. And of course, the first thing he introduces is light. And then we have the, the designation of what makes a day. And uh, we, we find that when darkness and light were separated by God, at the end of that, it says, uh, the light was day and the darkness he called night. Evening and morning were the first day. So the first day begins that evening because the world began in darkness and emptiness. Then God came upon the scene. And when God speaks, he brought forth light, separated the light from the darkness. And the light is the balance of that first day. That is, we start the day at the beginning with night and we end the day in light. And this is a testimony. We are making a declaration. And we contrasted that to our concept of a day, which starts in the middle of the night and ends in the middle of the night. That it is dark at the beginning, have some light, and then dark at the end. That is not a biblical uh, principle that we should be applying. Um, if that's what you anticipate, is you have darkness in your life, then light, and then go back to darkness to define a life, um, that is the life of the unregenerate. That is the life of one who is going to spend his life in darkness, which is hell, and which is the lake of fire. And, and so we think of this, and we start to conceive, well, God is communicating something. He doesn't say uh, morning and evening. He says evening and morning were the first day. And thus the day begins at sunset, once you see that sundown, and it begins in darkness. Your day begins when darkness begins. And, it, and then uh, at midday, you have light introduced. And for the balance of that day, it is light. Because when God brings light into our life, it persists, it stays for the balance. And this is really a testimony. And the Hebrew uh, concept of a day, which still is enforced today, to this day, Hebrews still understand that a day begins at sunset. And so their Sabbath begins at sunset, not at midnight. Doesn't begin at sunrise. Um, I know the song in Philadelphia says sunrise, sunset, but that's because at rhymes with more things than rise, maybe. I don't know. But they had it wrong. It was sunset, sunrise. Should have been the song because that is a Hebrew day. Because that's a biblical day speaking something forth that I believe in the creation account, that once God introduces light, that it will persist. Because it's based not upon uh, my contrivances, it's not based upon that, it's based upon God's faithfulness, and thus when light is introduced, it persists in that unit called a day. And so uh, we try to push forth a biblical model of defining a day and realize that we don't define the day uh, biblically. We define it, Unbiblically, we, we define it as people who are in dark. Um, for most of history in the Eastern mindset, they got to watch every day start and watch every day end. Unless you're Chris McKellop and you're up at midnight every night. Look, he doesn't really watch it happen, by the way. He's at his computer. He doesn't go outside and watch, watch Thursday turn into Friday. He just doesn't do that. It might be a little bleep on his screen, but... And I, I'm a night owl too, so I'll admit that I, there are many times I've, I've been up for that hour. But I'm not watching it go from one day to another day. No. Sunset in the biblical time is the end of the day. And sunset is the beginning of the next day. And so 
because we're taking a testimony of the created order. So that was two weeks ago, and you've had two weeks to think about that. Any questions or comments on that 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 really aggravates you or gets you excited or makes you think a little bit more about just how we define basic things? Are we biblically, are we communicating things biblically by just accommodating somebody else's definition of terms rather than the Bible's? Any comments? If not, I'm going to go into what I have for tonight. Yes. Correct. Correct. The whole Easter mindset is set this way. This is really a Western idea. Uh, so it's not, just, it's not just Jews that do this. It's also Muslims. It's also Eastern Orthodox. It's, all, it's, it's the whole Eastern world, and, uh, uh, except they just accommodate Westernization. And, and, and when we look at that, we go, well, that, it doesn't make sense. Why is the day starting in the middle of the night? Um, but we have sought to get away from a biblical definition of a day. This is God defining the day. Night and light, darkness, light is a day, is a unit. So that got us on the way, right? That kind of upset somebody, and they're thinking, oh, man, if I, if I don't know what a day is, do I know what a week is? <laughs> right? And I'm going to upset you a little bit, uh, not you guys so much, because we're not really tied into it. There's a group of Christ, quote-unquote Christians out there that are going to be really upset with what they hear uh, but we're going to now look at what a week is, is in, a, in terms of what it is biblically. And we recognize that six days the Lord created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. And so my question to you today, I, I'm getting to your homework. We're going to get there later at the end of this part, uh, towards the end of today. Remember, I gave you an assignment two weeks ago. Do you remember it? All right. Just hang on to it. We're going to get to that in a little bit. You might say, well, that's very simple, Pastor. A week is seven days. And so you have uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Those are our days. And we say, well, that's a week is those seven days. But in a biblical framework, uh, we don't have those names, right? We, we, those names are all based upon what? Those are Greek and Roman gods you're naming them after. And if you want to do a little collateral reading, uh, you can read through the book of Enoch. It's not in your scriptures, but Jude references it. And he talks about the naming of things as being very important, uh, particularly in the naming of the days and the naming of, the, of what we call planets or wandering stars. And the naming of those is named for the, the fallen angels, and Enoch attributes those. That the names of these wandering stars are named after specifically the angels that cohabitated with men and brought forth the Nephilim. And, and that has persisted all the way from the time of Enoch. That is uh, before the flood. Okay? And so from the time of early on in Genesis, the names of the days of the week have been attributed not to godly things, but to the ungodly to the to the demonic and we find that here we are meeting on a day that we call sunday when tomorrow we're gonna uh, the moon day or and the next uh, lunas now now by the way in spanish what is today what does that mean domingo the lord 
Lord's Day, Domingo. So in Spanish, they, pers- they keep it. In Greek, this day is in, in, in country Greece today, it's the Lord's Day in Greek. And so every, many places, but we say it as Sunday, a concept of worshiping the sun. Saturn Day uh, was yesterday to us. And so we look at these days of the week and we recognize, well, these aren't biblical monikers at all. These are very unbiblical monikers that we should maybe uh, try to use less often and recognize that this is not a biblical concept of the days of the week. And, um, and I've spoken of this before, but we recognize that six days the Lord created the heavens and the earth, and in most places the first day is the first day, until something else happened the first day of the week, and then it became the Lord's day, because it is recognizing that it is God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened on the first day of the week. So you go through the book of Luke, it doesn't say Jesus Christ rose again on Sunday. Because there was not that, that vernacular, they would not use that word for that day. The Romans would, but not the Christian community. He rose the first day of the week. And for the Christian community from that point forward, that became the Lord's day. And it persists in several languages, in Greek, in, in Spanish, in, in, in French, I think, too. Um, in most of your Romance languages, they continue to be the Lord's Day. But Germanic and English and things like that, it is something different. We call it Sunday. What a horrible thing. We aren't worshipers of the sun. And we're not saying Sunday, S-O-N either, are we? So, um, so we want to look at this and recognize Jesus Christ is, the, or the God's word says, is the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, and then the seventh day the Lord rested. Now, when is the Sabbath? <laughs> oh, now you're having all kinds of problems, aren't you? <laughs> Correct. The Sabbath is the seventh day. Now, if you have a calendar and you have all the Jewish holidays on there, it'll show the, like Passover started on Sunday this year. Uh, and then they'll say, well, technically it started at sunset Saturday night on your calendar, on your Roman calendar uh, that a Gregorian built off of the the. Julian, yeah, I was trying to get that Julian out. All I could think of was Caesar. Um, off the Julian calendar. So we have this problem already, but it's even deeper than what you might think. So now you don't know whether to call Friday or Saturday the Sabbath, and the fact is, is that that doesn't work. Neither of those days is the Sabbath. So let's Talk about when do we start counting when is the Sabbath. And again, in Israel today, if you go there uh, from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, everything will be shut down, um, kind of. It'll be put in such a way that you don't have to work, including elevators. So you have a elevator, a Shabbat elevator, which stops at every floor and just keeps running so you don't have to push the button because that's working on the Sabbath. No pushing buttons on the Sabbath. 
don't know what they do with their phones because you got to sit there and do this. Is pushing those buttons work? Yeah, now you just talk to it. So we have all of these very specific things for those times. So they have adopted the same calendar concept that we have, but it's not a biblical one. So even today in Judaism, we are not following the biblical calendar that is described for us in terms of what is a week. So when do we begin it? Well, let's go ahead and do some research. I'm going to give you some background verses, and we're going to work through this. All right, let's... Um, we know in Genesis chapter 1 uh, that God rested on the seventh day and made it holy. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, it's repeated, and, and we have the fifth day, the sixth day, the seventh day, God rested. And so we recognize that every seventh day, is God says, is the Sabbath. The question is, what is the first day of the week? Well, he tells us not here, but he actually tells us in the book of Exodus when the first day of the week is. And in uh, other uh, passages in Leviticus and Numbers and all of those. So I have them written out here, but I think we're going to... Well, let's go to Exodus chapter 12. We'll, we'll go into Exodus. It's already mentioned Exodus. I have some things in Genesis we get engaged in, but we're going to... Stop there. Exodus chapter 12, you should be familiar with this. This is the, the Passover, the institution of the first Passover. And so we're going to look at it coming into being. And you say, well, why do we have to look at Passover to figure out when the Sabbath is? Because it's going to tell us something about when we start our day clock. All right? We know when we start, start our clock hourly. We should start it at sunset. Sunset starts the clock on what a day is. But what, when do we start the clock on what a week is? That's the question. Okay, and so we're going to look at this. And we'll jump uh, down into, um, oh, let's see here. The instruction, we'll go through the instructions. I think the instruction period will give us more than the application of it. It says in verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months, and it shall be the first of the month of the year to you. And we haven't gotten to a year yet. We're going to come back to this on what a year is. Uh, we have to get a week and a month and a year. Uh, Speak to all the children of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. The household is too small for a lamb. He and his neighbor next to his house shall take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall... Make your count for the lamb. So it's very important you've got to designate your Paschal lamb on the 10th of the month. So you better know when the month starts, right? When is, what does this all start is the question. And of course, it says you're going to keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So you're going to heap it in your house four days. And then you're going to kill it at twilight. And we understand that. You're going to have that sacrifice at the beginning of that 14th day. You're going to start that. And that, of course, is the time when the uh, death of the firstborn is going to happen of anyone in Egypt without that blood on the doorpost and lintel, correct? You can say correct. Yes, you can just nod. Yeah. Okay, so we know all of that. So we have all of this information. We come down to verse 14. It says, so this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. 
Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. Forever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day. That person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. On the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which is which everyone must eat that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. So you have the Passover event on the 14th, followed by seven days of unleavened bread, making an eight-day event, starting on the 14th. 14th of what? The 14th of the first month of the beginning of your year. Well, is that January 14th? We know it's not because we just got done celebrating Passover last week, right? So we know it's in the spring. So when is the beginning of months for Israel? This, uh, God's going to tell them after the event. And so all of this happens and the Lord's given them deliverance. And that is the night of the Lord uh, that they're going to observe of when the Lord went through Egypt. Let's go uh, on down. Let's see if I can find the consecration of the day. Let me give you another. So let's go to Exodus 13. There we go. In Exodus 13, it's uh, verse, let's start in verse 3. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month Abib. Abib is the first month. The other months don't have a name. There are no other names for any of the other months in the Bible. So the first month is Abib, which means months. The beginning of your months is the month Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you in the land of Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. The seventh day there shall be a feast of the Lord. He goes on to gives this description. So when is this? When is the beginning of all of this? Well, we have to go to Leviticus to really get more fully. Well, let's, let's not get to Leviticus. We're in Exodus. Let's go to Exodus. Exodus 23. We'll do this in order. Let's go to Exodus 23. We're going to catalog all of these for you. And we're going to look at the Sabbath years a little bit. So six years and then the seventh is rest. Six days, the seventh is rest. And again, when do we start all of this? And uh, six years you shall sow in your land, in verse 10 of chapter 23, and, and gather as pros, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. And, he, and this is related to verse 12, where it says, six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your Donkey may rest, the son of your female servant, a stranger may be refreshed. And in all that I have said to you, be circumcised, make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. And then he goes into the three times that you are invited to come. And so we have these instructions about when does this begin? Well, beginning of the new year is this um, month, Abib. And it is the 14th day of that month. So when is the month started? Let's keep looking. Let's go to Leviticus. And we're going to go to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 shares all of the holidays of Israel. They're all tucked together really in one chapter there for us. The feasts of the Lord and and so we have an opportunity to look at these. 
Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation are these. These are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your days. Now, and then these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocation on the 14th day. And we again have the same reiteration of the Passover. Uh, the question we all have is when is this 14th day from what? Well, the 14th day is measured from the new moon of the spring rain. And so you're supposed to get it, derive that from the first new moon. And that's why you'll hear throughout Scripture the concept of new moons. Why are new moons important to understanding when your week is? Because that is the first day of the week is the new moon. So you start with the new moon, and that is a special day. It is also a Sabbath. You thought there were only four Sabbaths a month. There are actually five. The new moon is a Sabbath day, and then you start counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The seventh day after the new moon is the Sabbath. It's not just any seventh day, it is the seventh day after the new moon is the Sabbath, which means Passover always falls on what day? Passover is the 14th. Passover is always a Sabbath. The 14th, so the 14th day, so the new moon starts it, you start counting, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and, and ten, you hold your lamb back, you put it in your house, you get ready to sacrifice it. Fourteenth day, you're going to sacrifice it to commemorate the uh, death coming into Egypt and your deliverance in the morning. Uh, great picture there of why a day should be darkness and then light. You're slaves and then you're free uh, because of the work of God on your behalf over the course of uh, interrupting the darkness, his work in that. And so we find this, and now from the 15th on, uh, you have seven days of Feast of Unleavened Bread. But it is all derived from the new moon. That the new moon is the measure of when a week starts because it's also the measure of when a month starts. And we don't really find a lot of information on that, but we find it very powerfully there that Israel was keeping this long into the prophetic period. Even in their disobedience, they were keeping the new moons. And the New Testament even refers to that. You're keeping your new moons and Sabbaths. So you can do a word search and look up a bunch of the passages about new moons. I'm only going to select a few for you to get a handle on it. Let's, let's go to the New Testament first. Um, and then we're going to go back to Numbers. So hang on, we're going to get back to Numbers. But I want to show you the new moons. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. You might say, well, this has nothing to do with the church. Then why is it in the New Testament? Colossians chapter 2. I'm not going to advocate we keep the Sabbath, and I'll explain why probably next week. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. And Paul is speaking here, and he has this to say. It says, Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. So the festivals, the feasts, the new moons and the Sabbaths are all things that point to Christ somehow. So they are shadows of things that pointed to Christ, toward him. And so we are looking at, at some shadowy things from the back 
but they point to Christ. And I would contend that once you abandon those ideas of definition of a day, a week, a month, a year, you are losing the capacity to use time itself to introduce Christ. And I already showed you that principle with, with what a day is. How powerful we can use that, say, well, the day starts at sunset because we all start in darkness, and then when God brings light, there's light from then on. And, and who is the author, who is the one that brings you light? And we talked last week in Sunday morning, Sunday, on the Lord's Day, resurrection morning, of move, that you move from darkness to light. And this is the work of the resurrection, bringing from death to life, darkness to light, of not a people to being a people, of no mercy to being mercy, in mercy. So we have this uh, here listed, and another one in, in New Testament I want to give you is Galatians. And again, Paul's concerned about this. So if you want to turn to Galatians very quickly, chapter 4. We'll start in verse 8. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now, after you are known, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have labored for you in vain. I wanted to share this because of the balance. We don't want to get caught up in a Judaistic view of things that I have to worship this certain way, this certain day. We're going to talk about a theological reason of why we pick the Lord's Day, but even the Lord's Day isn't accurate, it's accurate for us, and I'll explain why probably next week. But um, we come to this by understanding what is the Sabbath. It's supposed to point to Christ, but I'm not learning this so I can go back and, and hold all those days as somehow being right, more righteous than other people. That is not our objective here. And Paul, on Wednesday, says these are shadows that point to Christ, so they're worth studying and understanding and knowing, um, but it is not something that we're going to trust in them. And so I'm not here saying, if you don't do this, you're not a Christian. And there are some people out there doing that. And, and I am not one of them, okay? And I, I, I agree with a lot of what they are saying until they get to the point of saying, well, this, and they're using, you know, Yahweh this and Yahweh that and, and Yeshua and, and all of these and, and it becomes Judaistic. It, it becomes much, and I asked him, is Galatians in your Bible? <laughs> because we are not called to observe those as a measure of, of Christianity. Of, if you're a follower, you have to use this certain formula. Uh, but rather, we have some liberty, and Galatians talks about that. But it, it is valuable for us to know the shadows that point to Christ. And that's why we're doing this study. So let's go back to Numbers, where we have some information about the beginning of your months. Okay, this is Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. This is when they're getting ready to leave Sinai. Um, they've made some trumpets, which are very important. What we're going to ask you later on at the end of this to see how you did on your homework and if you're going to have to redo your homework. From last week. <laughs> Let's go to verse 10. It's, uh, so they make their two silver trumpets. We better read some of this because it's going to have. Uh, when you blow, blow both of them, verse 3, the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle meeting. If you blow only one of them, then the leaders and the heads of the division of Israel shall gather to you. So whenever you hear the two trumpets 
everyone gathers. If you only hear one trumpet, only the leaders gather. Okay? And so they had two silver trumpets. Whenever they blew it, you gathered at the, if you blew them both, you gather at the tabernacle, something's going down. Something important is, is for you to be there. And you shall, uh, in the assembly, you are to gather together. And word assembly is the word church, really. Uh, church just means assembly. And so you assemble together, you gather when you hear this. Uh, so let's see what they're going to do. So verse 10. Also, in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings, or over the sacrifice of your peace offerings. They shall be a memorial to you before God, your God. I am the Lord your God. So, we have the introduction of these things. The three things that Paul listed in Corinthians are here in Numbers, right? Your appointed feasts, the beginning of your months, and you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and sacrifices. So, you're going to blow trumpets at the beginning of every month. This is very important later on. Trust me, I don't have much time, but we're going to get to it. We have till sunset. Okay. <laughs> so, you have trumpets blown. When are they blown? At the appointed feasts and at the first of the month. So, all Israel was called to assembly at the first of the month. So they were to set people to look, and, and one of the things they would look for is the new moon. As soon as they saw the new moon, they recognized that that's the new moon. Blow the trumpet, we begin our month. The month is set by the new moon. That's the beginning of a day. That's the beginning of a week, I'm sorry. That's the beginning of a week. It is also the beginning of a month. And now we begin counting. Now, we have a problem, don't we? Because that doesn't fit our calendar, does it? You have a nice little box with seven days, and, and you have one to seven, and this day we call Sunday, that day we call Saturday, and it has nothing to do with the moon. Correct? Which tells you, is it, is it even, it is possible, but is it reasonable to worship on a biblical Sabbath? What day of the month is a biblical Sabbath? Of our month. Well, you do know what day of the month is a biblical Sabbath this month because you know when Passover was. As soon as you know when Passover is the 14th, and you say, well, the 14th sometimes, Passover starts sometimes on Friday, Thursday, Monday. it starts different days of the week. Exactly. In fact, the Sabbath every month changes the day of the week. The true biblical Sabbath, you want to keep a biblical Sabbath, it's a different day of your week every month. Because your week isn't set up to the moon. Right? You don't have a lunar calendar. You have a solar calendar. And so my Seventh-day Adventist friends and all my friends in Israel, and, well, they, I don't know that I have any Seventh-day Adventist friends. Seventh-day Adventist people, I had a friend once as a Seventh-day Adventist, but I don't think he's my friend anymore. All the Israelites in Israel, all the Jews that are setting aside on Friday nights are not worshiping on a biblical Sabbath necessarily. Randomly, they may occasionally hit it. But unless they're looking at the moon month by month, they do not know when the Sabbath of their month is. Because it's not set to the Julian calendar that you're following. And so every month, the day of the Sabbath of the month changes 
because your new moon starts it, and every month you have people out there observing, as soon as that moon, they recognize that's a new moon. Blow the trumpets! Everybody get over here! This is, a, this is the first of the month. Now, what does that mean? That means that some weeks are a little bit shorter than other weeks. Did you know that? Because how many days, solar days, are in a lunar cycle? No, how many days are in one lunar cycle? From full moon to full moon. We have a, an astrophysicist here. How many days? No, astro... No, you have some... Yeah, space, yeah. I looked up your degree. I should have remembered it. It's like, what does he know? It's frightening. So, it, you think, oh, it's 28 days. No, it's not. Oh, no, I'm all messed up now. It doesn't, it doesn't divide by seven. Which means what? <laughs> yeah, it, so it's 29, sometimes 28, 20, 29 and a half. It, it varies, right? It's got some variability. It's consistently a full moon, full moon. But if you set yourself up on a lunar calendar, you're going to be very disappointed and your boss is going to be frustrated with you to no end and, and figuring out the Sabbath on that. And so you start every month afresh. At the full moon, you have a, full, a new moon. Not the full moon. At the new moon, you have a new moon celebration. That is the beginning of your month. Every month you blow the trumpets, that's your new moon. That begins the month, that begins the week. Which means that at the end of the week, what are you liable to have? This is very important to the resurrection story. What are you liable to have at the end of the month? Two Sabbaths in a row. More often than not. You'll have the 7th, the 14th, the 21st, and the 28th, and the 29th will be your new moon, which is also Sabbath. Sometimes it jumps a day there. And so you have this, this going on. And so when you come to the resurrection narrative, and it's, and it's built around Passover, uh, we realize now we have all these Sabbaths going on. The new moon is a Sabbath. That's two weeks earlier. We have now the 14th is Passover. We have then seven days of Feast of Unleavened Bread. That makes an eight-day thing, which takes you from one Sabbath to another Sabbath. So it begins and ends in a Sabbath. So it begins a Sabbath, and the first day is a Sabbath, and the last day is a Sabbath automatically. It is the first day of Unleavened Bread that they set aside and said, that is also a Sabbath. So now you, and, and this is not unusual to them, because at the end of every month, they are very likely to have two Sabbaths in a row, that you have your new moon and Sabbath. There are actually five Sabbaths a month in the Hebrew, in the biblical calendar. And so when someone comes to you and says, you worship on Sunday, we worship on Saturday, we're more holy than you are, you say, <laughs> no. And I've had people contest me, you worship the sun. I say, well, you worship Saturn. Mine's bigger than yours. Brighter than yours. You know, if you want to play that game, let's get into God's Word and say, well, where's your new moon and Sabbath? Because you have to worship a different day of the week every month. If you want to hold to the law, and this is what Galatians is saying, once you get committed to the law, 
we have to keep this to be biblical, then you better keep it completely. And that means you've got to take a different day off of the week every month as you go through and follow the lunar schedule. Because that's what a week is. It begins on the new moon, and it goes seventh day uh, after the new moon is your Sabbath, sixth day is she labor, seventh day is the new moon, and our seventh day from the new moon is your Sabbath. And that changes in the, in the Julian calendar and in the Gregorian calendar that we have. It moves. And so you can't put it on your nice calendar on your wall. It doesn't fit. Not to your concept of time. This is how far we have drifted from a biblical concept of keeping time. It's because we have lo- we've lost track of what a day is, largely in Western Christianity, We've lost track, really, of what, when we start counting when the week is. Now, I told you that's not going to adjust what day of the week we worship because of something interesting. The gospel writers tell us that he rose the first day of the week. Um, who are they writing to? This is, who is Luke writing to? He's the one particularly that tells us exactly when. Um, was he a Jew? No, the first day of the week then was according to the Roman calendar of days of week, which is solar. When we come to understanding that Passover was a lunar thing, and the first day of the week that is described there is a Roman thing, then we go, oh, well, so we have all kinds of Sabbath issues now of when the Sabbath was. And so did Christ have to be, right? They wanted to get him off the cross before the Sabbath. We say, well, that was Saturday. He rose on Sunday. No. Wrong. Because you think a Sabbath is Saturday. But we don't, if you could tell me the year he was crucified, and we take it back, we find the lunar phase, and I asked Wade if he could do this. He's like, oh, I got to do that. And so... And, we, and take the lunar phases of what year that was and when the new moon was, and then 14 days from that, then we would be able to tell. But you're comparing a lunar to a solar, and you're having problems. And we ended up with Good Friday. And we ended up with Jesus in the grave only two days instead of three. Because we have abandoned our knowledge of biblical dating. Just what a week is, what a month is, what a day is, We've lost track of that, and now we have horrible thing like Good Friday. You're celebrating Christ's sacrifice when he was actually already dead. He was in the grave then. And, and everyone knows it. Everyone knows you cannot get three days and three nights, the sign of Jonah, if you die on Friday and resurrect Sunday morning. You cannot get that, can you? You make Jesus a liar. But if you understand Sabbaths, a biblical Sabbath, that it moves throughout the week based upon what month you are, of, of, a, of a, back then it was the Julian calendar, it moves throughout the back then, just like it moves among the Gregorian calendar, that you realize, oh, well, the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath is the 14th of the lunar since the lunar new year, new moon. It was a new year, too. And now, that all makes sense. Oh, I have no problem. Right? Yes. 
Oh, I'm not done yet. I have my own wrenches. Hang on to it. So we find this has application today. So when the Bible says in the end times, people want to change the times and the seasons. They will attempt to do that so that all of our worship is manipulated. It has been shifted, and this is what the work of the demons, even back in the book of Enoch, wanted to do. They wanted to shift worship from God and his principles to himself and him and his, to, to Satan himself, and that this is one of the things. Now, do our Seventh-day Adventist people have some argument? Yes, we're going to talk about that argument about the first day of the week next Lord's Day evening and the application of that and, and what is our statement because it is very clear in Scripture when Christ resurrected. And does that validate shifting worship from the quote-unquote Sabbath to the first day of the week? And I would contend you are shifting from lunar to solar. And we're going to talk about why that is a testimony of Christ being rejected by Israel and accepted by the Gentiles. Okay, that shift in calendar. I'm going to talk about that next week. That's a little teaser. Now, I have one last thing. Uh, what was your homework assignment? What phases was the moon in when God created it on the fourth day? What phase was... <laughs> All right, how many of you think it was a first quarter moon? Nobody. Okay, how many think it was a full moon? All right, got a good, good group. How many think it was a, a, a second, is it second quarter? Third, third quarter? Third quarter moon. How many think it was a dark moon? A new, what we call a new moon. None of you? Okay. It was the fourth day, so maybe it's the fourth day from being a new moon. It was a crescent moon. Oh, the communists were right. Why did I give you that assignment to even think about? Well, we have a problem. And the problem is, is the Hebrew word for new moon is never really defined for us. And I want to take you to Psalm 81 very quickly and see this, and, and we could talk, discuss this a little bit more um, I'm okay if you want to take a week to do that now that I've given you some of the information. Let's go to Psalm 81. And this is, a, this is an active, active discussion on this. Okay, so Psalm 81, um, verse 3. It says, Blow the trumpets at the time of the new moon. We already know the history of that, right? Now? Oh, yeah, Moses said, you know, make two silver trumpets, blow the trumpet. It's a festival. We're supposed to get together. It's a Sabbath. Uh, we gather at sunset of the new moon. Boom, the, blow the trumpet. Got that. And then the next words in the, new, in the New King James says, at the full moon on our solemn feast day. This is the only use of full moon that we have in Scripture. Uh, and many people contend that this isn't the word full moon, it's the word appointed day. This is the appointed day. Some of your translations will do that. Uh, the, uh, and, and I didn't go through every translation of how they do it. But one of the arguments here, yeah, we have to deal. We, ha we have to deal with this verse. Because it would seem from this verse 
in the parallelism that is very common in Hebrew poetry, that a new moon is a full moon. It's a bright moon, not absence of moon. Now, in Islam, the month begins with the first crescent. The, de- the night of the first crescent is the beginning of their months. And that's why they're lunar as well, and that's why Ramadan moves around throughout the year, um, because it's built upon the first crescent. Uh, but the idea of the moon ruling the night is, is how it's described in its creation in Genesis chapter 1. And with this verse... There is an argumentation out there that we have totally missed when the month should start, that it should be the full moon and not what we call a new moon or a black moon, a concealed moon. Now, there are three lines of reasoning here. I'm going to talk about them. I don't care which one you choose, and I'm still struggling and wrestling over myself, honestly. Uh, One line is that we're talking about two different feasts here in this one verse that the blowing of the trumpet is the beginning of the month and that the full moon is the observance of a feast day. That it's not the same event. We're talking about two different events. This isn't parallelism, but they are going chronologically from the beginning of the month to the 14th of the month, which would be, if the new moon was a new moon, what would be the 14th? Pretty much a full moon that the full moon would have been the feast day, not only on the first month of the year, but also the seventh month of the year, because the first one is the Feast of Trumpets, first day is the Feast of Trumpets, and then you have the Feast of Tabernacles beginning on the 15th. And so you have another week of feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles. So that's one argument, that we're talking about two different feasts here. One marking the beginning of the month and one uh, a, a high feast day. That's one way they've worked around this. The other one that I talked about is they say they mistranslated the Hebrew word as new moon. Uh, And in fact, uh, if you go into Eastern Orthodox translation of the Greek Septuagint, they abandon new moon or full moon as well. So they either extract the word full moon or they, and and put in the word appointed days, uh, or they say these are two different feasts but there is a, a pretty large group out there right now that are advocating that we have totally missed and we are starting the month at a black moon instead of a bright moon. And if that's the case, all the holidays in the Jewish calendar are off by two weeks. They're all off by two weeks. And that is their statement is that we have been so manipulated over the course of, of the Dark Ages and, and the course of, of the exile in Babylonia um, and all of the things, and, and we know that the Sabbath, we know from this, because the new moon's the Sabbath, we know that Saturday isn't the Sabbath. And their contention is neither are they hitting Passover correctly. as their contention. And... Uh, we, we are going to struggle with this when we get into the resurrection and we talk about uh, worshiping on Sunday as the first day of the week. Um, but we want to recognize we are dealing with two very different calendars. And when you come across people that are going to measure spirituality about what day of the week you worship, uh, you need to challenge them a little bit and say, you need to know your scriptures. Because if you want to go back there, first of all, read to them Galatians that I told you, 
It's not about what day of the week, but it's about recognizing that these are shadows that are pointing to Christ. And if we don't recognize them in the Old Testament, then we're going to relegate them as obsolete, nothing worth studying. But they are worth studying because they point something to Christ. And we're going to look at that a little bit more next week as we get into the first day of the week. But if we don't know what the Sabbath is, we don't really know what a week is. So we begin with the new moon. But what is a new moon? Is it a concealed moon, a dark, or a full moon, a bright moon? And there's a lot of debate on this right now. And I don't know that we're going to solve that. You can kind of if you're a contentious person and want to be obstinate and, and, and weird, then you can say, well, the new moon is a full moon. And you can use this verse to probably defend that along with the creation account, and, and people have done that. And, and, uh, but I'm not going to fight over it with you. If you want to hold that, if you want to say, well, we probably are on the right track with the, with the dark moon starting it off. Um, after all, the Muslims picked up the crescent moon. But remember, on which side of biblical revelation did Islam start? Okay, now if you know the source of Islam, you know that that's coming from Gnosticism. He, he, he hit up with a Gnostic priest, and that's how he formulated his ideas of Christianity and of Judaism well after the exile. And so uh, we... We recognize that we're not going to use another religion to define Hebrew terminology. That's a mistake. And so I'm okay with you picking any of these um, because I don't know that it's, it's not a life and death issue, but I think it's important for what we're going to study later is that um, maybe what is set in stone today and being practiced today isn't really biblical. It's certainly not as biblical as people think it is. And so when legalists come to you, they are always going to be legalists to come to you, you've got to worship right to this. And, and I always say, well, technically, if you go to church on Saturday night, you've already, and it's after sunset, you are worshiping on the first day of the week. Now, I used to be one of those people that say, oh, those people are having Saturday night church. They're too lazy to get up on Sunday morning. They just want to worship in the dark. I don't know why. I'd rather worship in the light. Because I've moved from darkness to light, so I prefer. But technically, yes, sunset Saturday night is the first day of the week. Um, but not in a lunar calendar. Not in the, in, the, in the calendar that God established with Israel. Starts with the new moon, whatever that was. David seems to indicate that it might be a full moon. Creation account seems to indicate that it might have been a full moon that we start off with. That would make more sense if God created lights, the one light to rule the day and one right light to rule the night, that it would be kind of silly that he created that and it was black. This is a light to rule the night. Oh. <laughs> Where's that exactly? And so if a new moon is a full moon, then, then your whole Hebrew calendar is off by two weeks fourth day we are commemorating it we are not trying to reenact it and so but God has communicated to us 
Start it at the new moon. And again, we only have one passage of scripture that remotely connects what a new moon is. Um, and that is Psalm 81.3. And it seems to connect it to a full moon. And, and you, can, you, can, you can do your internet searches and you can read all about these. Everybody's got their line of reasoning. What I'm, I'm looking at a bigger picture than the, I know it's kind of blowing your whole calendar thing and now how do I worship God, right? Um, you worship him in spirit and in truth, right? And not on a day. And, and, but I just want to demonstrate to you how easy it is to just destroy someone who is banking that they got the right day of the week to worship. And they're banking on that as the premise for their uh, superiority spiritually. Okay, yes. What's well, the Julian? And we're going to address that. Yeah, we're going to address that movement, that movement of days. And you don't know the difference between Julian and Gregorian. Uh, we're going to talk about that. That's coming but that's several weeks away. I'm going to go through the Jewish feasts and seasons first. Yes. Right, that was in captivity, and most of, all the other names for the months are all Babylonian. The only name that is Hebrew is Abib. All the others are Babylonian names for the months there. And right, so Esther, when you get into Nehemiah, you get into the post exile period and even in Daniel we're going to address a little bit but uh, and so it was already uh, affecting things by Esther for sure and we have a lot of Babylonian and you realize that there's a school of thought out there that I adhere to that the Hebrew that we have is tainted because languages don't aren't, aren't static they don't stay the same and you cannot spend two generations or more in exile in another country and not have its language affect your language. And that's what happened. Seventy years they were in Babylon, and we know that it had an impact. And so Hebrew, we don't have a Paleo-Hebrew. It's called Paleo-Hebrew, which is the original Hebrew. Most of the Hebrew we have are post-captivity Hebrew, which has been, has a lot of Babylonian influence on it. And so that's why the Septuagint becomes a very valuable aid because the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the, Bible, of the Old Testament, did have the Paleo-Hebrew. It was translated way back there in Alexander the Great period, okay, way before Christ, in, in that Greek period of, that it was translated... And so that is the Greek, that is the Bible the apostles and Jesus quoted out of was the Septuagint, which was built on the Paleo-Hebrew. But the Masoretes, who gave us our Old Testament, that is post-captivity Hebrew, and it is, it is influenced by the Babylonian language. And that's a lot more than you wanted to know. So, okay, Or at least in the context of our study tonight. Let's have a word of prayer. I've kept you late again, but I knew that was going to happen. You did too, so just admit it. We're all happy. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And Lord, this might seem a bit of a foolish study to consider 
this, but Lord, we know that one of the evidences that you tell us about the end times is this idea of times and seasons being uh, taken over or attempted to by the evil one. And we pray that you might help us to be a people that are aware, that are, that are knowledgeable, that we might not just win arguments, but that we might really point people to the truth of Jesus Christ. And not that we might feel superior, but that we might truly help people through and out of a legalistic view of their walk, that they might see that righteousness entails so much more than just keeping of feasts and new moons and, and days, Sabbaths, and that we might um, worship you, but that we might also be better students of your word and not come to it with our own culture uh, directing our thinking, but that we might truly learn from you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.